Hmm. Not the great reset. Maybe button. we need to start doing some of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Over, after further review, yeah. we should do this different. We're going to do a mulligan, audible, whatever you want to call it. Yes. Red 18. <laughs> Omaha. Uh, hey, there's the, the Peyton doing? Manning oh, reference. Whatever they say. Okay. Yeah. Green 18 is, uh, is um, Aaron Rodgers. Okay. So, yeah. I know that one, but anyways, all right, well, welcome guys, we are here for kind of a fun episode, this is going to be actually kind of fun, we we are going to do some top five or top lists of things that are interesting to us in a couple of categories, and we also solicited some questions uh, from the audience, from some of the fans, and we have quite a few of those to go through, and ranging from fun to serious, so uh, we hope you guys enjoy this. We're hopefully going to make this a regular thing where we do this interaction every once in a while. Let's so. see if you can get to know us a little better here. That's you it. Know, Getting to is, know you. This is really a, a deep dive into the souls of who we are here. Yeah, you're going to see the inner workings, the gears turning yes. and all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So join us as we uh, go on this kind of fun venture. All right, so how are you tonight? So far, so good. I'm a little good. nervous. I know we uh, sent out a little request to have some people send us some questions, some things they would like us to talk about, uh, some things they want to get uh, hear us give our opinions on. Uh, so it uh, should be interesting. Yep. Yeah, so we're going to start with uh, top five in kind of our wheelhouse of guns, firearms, that kind of stuff, and talk about that. So really, we'll just get right to it. Yeah. So top five, what is your top five pet peeves of the firearm industry? This is kind of a... Um, let's see. Let's, I guess let's focus on the, the tra- firearms training industry. Let's kind of, I mean, the firearms industry is a pretty broad thing. So I guess we could just talk about training. Um, so let's just, I'll, we'll go back here a little bit. So... I became a police officer in 1994. I started doing firearms instruction for cops at the PD in 2001 or two. Started running firearms training for our SWAT team about the same time and opened Tombstone Gun Range in 2013. So I've been doing the range for 10 years, and at the range, we do civilians, we do law enforcement training, we do basic SWAT classes, we do a lot of that stuff. So we've done thousands upon thousands of students in the firearms training business. Uh, but I guess, for as far as pet peeves go, I think one of the things that, right off the bat, that I notice either watching other people train or going to other classes or watching all the stuff out there on YouTube is I think people are way too serious <laughs> in this whole thing. And you see, I don't know, I, so here's the thing. Most of the students, when it comes to people who take classes, most of the students, 95% of all the students out there who are taking lessons or are going to classes are very, very, very basic shooters beginners or yep. just barely getting into it and maybe if you've been shooting for a year or two 
from my perspective, that's still a very brand new shooter. The whole uh, journey of learning skills of firearms is a long journey. So sometimes we see these instructors that are very knowledgeable, very smart. They probably should have been a doctor for all I know. I mean, that's the intelligence level. Some of these guys are really good. And the class is full of people that have been shooting guns for six months. And there's, I always see a disparity of the level sometimes that instructors try to teach. And I think a lot of it just goes right over the heads. And I think it goes right over the heads of the students. And I think for a lot of instructors, they're very proud of what they're teaching. They're like, hey, I've got all this experience and look what I've figured out. And I'm going to teach you guys all of this really cool, advanced, detailed stuff because it makes me look cool. Like it makes me look like I know what I'm doing and I've learned all these tips and tricks. And the student is going, what, what's, what's a trigger reset? Um, what is, what do you want me to do with my weekend? It's, it's, it's a very, very basic level. And a lot of instructors are, feel a little bit crushed because now they don't get to teach all the really cool high speed stuff. They're forced to try to do the basics. And some instructors aren't very good at that. They're not very good at giving feedback to students who are having a problem. And so I see people that are just very serious, maybe way too serious in what they teach. And you've got to loosen up a little bit. You got to loosen up. You have to focus on the student. And the ultimate goal is to make them better, not to make you look better as a trainer. So that's probably my first one is I think everybody is way too serious in the industry. And it's all about context. It's about who your student is, being self-aware of, of what you're doing and not putting on a show. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely one of them. Everybody wants to look like that cool operator type, mm-hmm. you know, guy on the internet because that's what they look at and they're stuff like the John Wick movies and all that stuff make everybody think that they can just go buy a gun and right. do those kind of things. And, and I think that struct, instructors sometimes give a false sense of that because – they want to make money. I mean, obviously, when you're an instructor and you've spent this time developing how to train people and all that stuff, you and some of these guys, it's their livelihood. So they're trying to sell themselves. But I think that sometimes they oversell that and they they undersell the importance of the basic, basic, basic. I mean, there's been classes where we kind of call them intermediate or advanced, and we end up spending the first couple of hours yep. going over just basic stuff. Here's, here's another little thing that that I kind of, every time I hear this phrase, I cringe a little bit and I kind of exhale and sigh out loud a little bit. Like, here we go. The phrase is this weapon system. (laughs) So, and then people and trainers and instructors really like to use this phrase of calling your gun a weapon system. So anytime you do this with a weapon system or loading your weapon system or clearing your weapon system, this started, I think, probably from Chris Costa back in the Magpul Dynamics days. Mm -hmm. And it was a way to sound really super cool. Now, a rifle could perhaps be a weapon system if it has a grenade launcher on it, if it has a bayonet attached to it, if, if the thing, the system, can do multiple things, then it's a system. Your handgun can do one thing. It can shoot bullets out of the end of it. Yeah. That's it. Your handgun is not a weapon system. I guess you could beat somebody over the head with it, too, and so it's a hammer on top of being a gun. 
But I just like let's just call. Hey, just grab your gun. That's all you got to say. Let's just do that and not try to throw in a bunch of words that you think it makes you sound more intelligent or more experienced. I think weapon system is one of those. And it's, I think military guys use that phrase a lot. I think it's, you know, the nomenclature comes from the military, yep, obviously. Sure. And it's just, sometimes it's just ingrained in your vocabulary. And, and there's probably some instructors that aren't really trying to say it to sound cool. Yep. It's just, they've said that in their career and, and it's, and they're not really trying to make it something, but if you're probably a civilian firearms instructor and you're using phrases like that, yeah, come on, man, let's, yeah. let's back off uh, some of that jargon a little bit and not try to make yourself sound like something you're not. Yeah. I, I think that that's uh, in a, in a lot of ways we want to, we want to be tactical, you know, that's just the, mm-hmm. it's kind of the nature of everything. And there's a lot of guys that have, have made good careers out of doing that that aren't even prior military. You know, you look at a guy like Lucas Botkins is, and he kind of approaches it from a serious aspect, but then you have other guys that just want to have fun with the, with the stuff. And I think that really somewhere in between is probably, probably the best approach. I always try and use the term firearm or gun. That's pretty much where I go with it. And let me get, let me step back a little bit and say this before we get way too far down in the weeds with this. Regardless of your little problems with certain instructors and we've all got instructors that we've seen or gone to that we have problems with, I want everybody to understand that ultimately no matter what instructor you're talking about, they probably are trying to be a good steward of the second amendment. They're trying to get people trained they're trying to get people more involved in the firearms community. And so what? So they say weapon system, whatever. Are they getting people to come out to the range and practice and train and become more proficient yeah. with firearms? Yep, yeah, they sure are. So yeah. A plus. That's yeah. 95% of the whole goal. Yeah. So I don't. I would never say those things to say you should never go to that person or he's a terrible instructor. Listen, I think we're all in our own way trying to promote training and the second amendment and so let's focus on that big picture first and and it's pretty much just for fun we like to nitpick stuff here and there uh, on top of that which i think we can do that in a a good fun entertaining way and still be on the same side of everybody yeah yeah so um we're gonna we're gonna move on to the next one i know we didn't do top five but we're gonna just kind of move on to top two whatever (laughs) what's numbers you know but uh i we have a lot to cover so i'm going to go ahead and move on but i'll just i'll do this one and then you can give me yours your answer to top five people you respect in the firearm industry i guess that we're still talking about the gun training world um for me i know um Everybody gives me the the grief because I have his guns, but John Lovell is probably a guy that I respect the most just because of he does the firearm stuff, but he also has he does a lot of stuff in kind of a, the wheelhouse that we're getting involved in of of men and and teaching men how to teaching young men how to become you know strong fathers, strong husbands, and um, I really respect that about him. Um, other than that, uh, I would say um, for what they've done for, I feel like, the civilian world in the gun industry. Mm-hmm. I think Lucas, Lucas Bodkin has done a lot. Um, and just his his combination of kind of the tactical and competition world and exposing, you know, firearms to a younger generation because he's 
I think still in his late twenties, early thirties, and uh, has built a business. He's twelve done... years old. <laughs> he looks it. <laughs> Turning thirteen later yeah. this year. Yeah. Uh, so he would be another one that I, I think has done a lot for um, the gun world. Mike Glover, um, Fieldcraft Survival, wearing a hat. You work for him sometimes, work with him sometimes. Um, great dude has built a company that's really, really uh, looking to um, in, equip civilians to be able to protect themselves and uh, be avid shooters and even branching out into the survival world and all of that kind of stuff. Um, two others, uh, I think uh, Garantham, just because he's an Air Force guy, you know, mm-hmm. big fan of his, you know, um, and um, I, <laughs> I do like... Uh, as far as just his whole persona, he looks acts a little crazy sometimes. But Pat McNamara is another mm-hmm. dude that I really, really respect. He's kind of one of those guys that's he's just the right amount of crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. Look at, but you know, all the basic dude stuff. But I would, I would say that that's probably in my top five. Um, I don't know. Maybe I replace Pat McNamara with uh, Jocko Willick, but he's not really necessarily in the firearms community, more of in the mm-hmm. inspiration community. But yeah, so yeah, yeah. I don't know. As far as you know, kind of the more popular people in the firearms industry, I kind of always lean towards kind of the older school. So here I am. I'm 52 years old. <laughs> of course, I'm not going to lean towards the Lucas Botkins of the world. Um, I'm always leaning towards, as far as for like, I don't know if you call it inspiration or not, but I kind of lean on the guys from the competition world, like the Jerry Mitchell X and mm, Rob Latham yep. and, and Todd Jarrett and those type of guys. And I don't, I'm not quite sure why. So I'm, I've been in law enforcement for 30 years. I've very slightly dabbled in competition stuff every once in a while, but it's never been a part of my training, but I've always lean to if i was gonna get some advice you know those are pretty good guys to get some advice from uh, because they're world champions they've highly succeeded in in what they're doing um i'd say some of the the i think the the pushback maybe or the holdback from people law enforcement guys or military dudes when it comes to the newer youtubes like lucas i mean the guy is very competent he knows a ton he probably knows more about guns and gear than me and 10 other cops all combined and god bless him he's working his butt off and and building a a good company i think people still just see him as the kid who's pretending to to do stuff at at his range with all this gear and and kind of playing dress up a little bit um and I think you just have to take it for what it is. Would I go take a class from Lucas? Sure. Why not? You you're never. You should never be too good to think, I never need to take a basic firearms class ever again. doesn't matter who it's yeah. from, whether it's from him or me or you or anybody else. You should always be a student regardless of who the instructor is. And it kind of shows a level of kind of your class. Say you get signed up or you go to some instructor that you don't like that you think's an idiot. Yeah. How well – can you behave and perform in that class? You should always be able to, you know, kind of take notes and school people on, if nothing else, how do you teach the class? What are the topics you're going over? What's your teaching style? How do you get feedback? Do you use camera and gear? Like, so, like, all right, so you're not really down with a guy, but learn something. Yeah. 
learn something. You can always learn something from every instructor out there, no matter how much you like them or not. So the guys like Pat Mack, you know, extremely entertaining, and those dudes are hilarious to, to listen to. Um, the guys, you know, you just know there's so much experience there Yeah. from some of these guys, like the DJ Shipleys and these people where you listen to them talk about missions they've gone on, and you're just on the edge of your seat. Like, yeah. man, this is crazy, crazy. And so there's just a level of respect that comes with those type of guys just because they've been there. So I don't know. I can't, As far as really you know, kind of looking for influence from other – I, I kind of lean towards the guys that have got a lot of experience, whether it's law enforcement or competition world, and kind of base that on real life. Yeah. So segueing into, um, we're going to do this in kind of a different way. So we're going to pick, go back and forth, and you get to start. But uh, we're going to do our top five gun influencers. So these have to be gun influencers that we'd see on YouTube or something like that, that you would want to take in a fight with you. So if you pick one, I can't pick that person. <laughs> so back and forth. So we're going to go back and forth. And then the audience can tell us. I'll put the list up in text mm-hmm. uh, on the on the uh, video. And you guys can tell us in comments who you think which which one's team wins. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. Yeah, I think I'd probably go uh, DJ Shipley. No. Uh, not actually... that he's like a crazy person, but he's somehow he's got like – 800 lives. Yeah. I think he's, I think he's hard to kill. Yep. Yep. Uh, regardless, somebody's watching over him. So I'd probably take him number one. Yep. So, yep. so um, boy, this is a tough one. Uh, I would say I would take, I would take Jocko because Jocko, he's Navy SEAL. I know that if we don't have guns, he's going to be good too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. a, um, so he'd be my first choice. Yeah. And I would probably, I'd probably go to, Back to, to Pat Mack because he is, I think, a little a little crazy. A little bit of that craziness. And uh, been there. And, yeah, I think I think he might be number two. Okay. My number two is definitely the warrior poet, Mr. John yeah. Lovell. So, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Who after that? I don't know. I might start leaning towards Okay, you got somebody with a lot of experience. You got somebody who's crazy. <laughs> like, who else on top of that? You might start leaning towards uh, people that are really highly technically skilled um, as far as maybe long-range guys. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, Ryan, is there a sniper? Ryan, is it Kleckner? Ooh, um, I remember his name, you know, and of course, you're like, well, he must not have influenced you that much if you can't <laughs> say his last name. <laughs> uh, uh, but you know, maybe somebody that was in the more of the long range realm. It's always good to have that Overwatch um, of doing things. Yeah. So yeah, so my third would be probably I'm going with some experience too. Uh, Travis Haley, he'd yeah. be one of mine. Yeah. And you know what's yeah. funny. We look at at all the, the the gun guys on YouTube. Travis Haley was one of, if not the first guys with Magpul Dynamics, him yep. and Costa, and he's been around for a long time. For some reason, I don't know what it is, but you, if you look at the number of subscribers to his channels and the mm-hmm. followers, they're like ten percent of what some of these other guys are doing. And I don't know because 
obviously Travis has all the experience in the world and very smart guy putting out a lot of good products. He also has really info. cool training methods, just doing his little warm up thing and yeah. stuff like and he's, that. He's, you know, he's really kind of based in, you know, shooting on the science of shooting and thinkers before shooters and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and the mindset. Um, and I'm, I, I gravitate towards that. I gravitate towards human physiology and, and, and how the human body works and how psychologically we respond to certain stimulus and threats and, and I like the science behind what we're trying to accomplish, and yeah. that's really his lane, yep. big time. Not that there's not other folks, but that really is his. Um, and it's just curious to me, like how other people have blazed by, and it's all just like, who do you have on your team that can, you know, get the algorithm just right for yeah. getting your your stuff out? It's yeah. not really completely about your content, but uh, yeah, he'd be good. Yep. So. You're number four. Um, hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of those dudes. I would probably, you know, like I said, we've worked a lot with all the field craft guys, and and um, you know, with, as far as Glover and guys, buddies of ours like Casey Hildreth mm-hmm. and and uh, Rick Lofton and Matt Shea and, and a lot of those guys. And um, I don't know. I think I I think I think Glover would be. Be, yep. be up there he's um just a wide mm-hmm. range uh, of skill set on you there. could do overlanding yeah. with him and be just <laughs> fine yeah you know, absolutely so. So. yeah I, I wouldn't i wouldn't hesitate to to pick glover and put yeah. on that yeah so i'm gonna pick um another guy that's kind of well-rounded he's a, a delta sniper um and uh pretty well-known guy uh, tim kennedy he was also an mma mm-hmm. fighter I'd take Tim Kennedy. That's my long range Overwatch guy, but I also know he could handle the close range stuff too. So, yeah. So number five, we got to hear you. Yeah, and if you just, you know, uh, trying to think, I just might stick along with the crazy realm and take Conor McGregor with me. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. In case we had to get into some hand-to-hand stuff <laughs> yeah. and there's some back alley in the, in the middle of uh, well, I mean, some foreign country. Yeah, somewhere. well, he would he would definitely be up to fight that way. There's just maybe you know throw some balls. Tasmanian devil, like, squirrel, <laughs> and while he's going crazy, we just run the yeah. other way. <laughs> so my fifth, I'm going to take um, somebody you may know well, um, but he's a 30 year police officer. I'm going to take Dave Kemp as my fifth. <laughs> The reason, and let me say this, uh, the reason is is because I know this dude and he's like become one of my best friends, and I know if push come to shove, he'd have my back. So that's, hey, that's yeah, the, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I so you're my it. number five. So you awesome. made the top five. Hey, man, we'll hug, the, we'll hug it out. Yeah, <laughs> and you are a YouTube influencer. So Well, you yeah, know, so. got to start somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know, three subscribers, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, now let's move into... Q&A, and we'll kind of take these as um, as they come. So I'll, I'll call out the people and read the question, and then uh, we'll kind of just popcorn it back and forth on the, on the answers. So first, and I kind of broke these down up into sections. So the first big section is really in the gun world, and then we get into some kind of more serious questions and even some questions about theology and stuff. And then we end out with some fun stuff. Sure. So, um, 
we'll uh, we'll just start. So, first question comes from Jeff Miller on Facebook. We all know Jeff. He's up, comes Jeff? out and yeah, he comes out and trains with us. Um, what's your thought of carrying non-lethal in your everyday carry? Since you're more likely to be in a non-life-threatening situation versus a situation where you would need your firearm, pepper spray, or something like that. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a pretty interesting question there. Thanks, Jeff. Um, yeah, it's true. You know, there's a lot of situations out there where you could probably not need a firearm to, to get out of that situation. I would think something like pepper spray probably wouldn't be too bad of an option to have in your car. And not necessarily because you're getting carjacked, but maybe you're dealing with, you know, some guy that's panhandling on the corner and is trying to open your door just to bum for money and maybe it escalates a little bit um one of those situations where maybe you're trying to get somebody away from your vehicle uh, anytime you start carrying a whole bunch of other gear like pepper spray whatever it just can be complicated a can of pepper spray is really not very convenient to carry around you're probably not going to have a inside the waistband holster for your can of pepper spray it's probably going to be in your pocket or you know for women it's going to be in a purse or or that type of thing um, but it's 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 handy. I will say this: pepper spray is very effective. I love that uh, as an option. So how you decide to carry that around, just in your vehicle or uh, in a purse or backpack, whatever, it is very effective. It really is. And in, in law enforcement today, we see a lot of cops for some reason going away from that and just going to taser and other stuff. And I think people are missing a good opportunity. So I think things like that are a good option. We hear people ask us a lot about what about a stun gun or, you know, or, or tasers legal or whatever. Well, you know, tasers and stun guns right now, it's kind of a gray area. Technically, book answer is it's not legal for you to carry those around in Illinois in public. So you got to be careful of what you're doing while you're walking around out in town with those things. But um, if you're in a situation where it's not where deadly force is not justified and something else is going on, I think your first option is try to avoid that situation, leave, get out of the area, do something, instead of trying to solve it yourself with a lesser force option like yep. pepper spray or whatever. Those things can get, get tricky. Um, and so I think it's a good tool. It's a tool in your tool bag to have around. I'm not sure I'd worry so much about carrying that with me necessarily if it's not deadly force i think your number one option is let's avoid this and try and get the heck out of this situation yeah and i think that that is a good it's probably a good secondary or tertiary option um but i i think that probably when you're talking about less than lethal situations learning something like how to put somebody in a good hold or something like that and if you can't avoid that I think learning something like a jujitsu or something like that where you can actually handle yourself mm -hmm. um, force on force type stuff for stuff that's not a lethal threat if you just need to contain somebody or you need to kind of subdue a threat that maybe you've got somebody drunk that's belligerent going after somebody that you're with and I think that having those tools is probably a better maybe even a better option now the segue to that is takes a long time to learn that stuff so if you're not already training in that then maybe pepper spray is that good yeah. option yeah. as far as the law starting. in illinois it is it is legal for you to carry pepper spray on you out in public 
in Illinois. So it's an option. Don't think, um, you know, and stick with, there's a lot of brand names. Mace, Mace is just a brand name. It's the name of a company that, that produced some type of these self-defense sprays. Um, so any type of pepper spray is probably your best bet. Um, and, yeah, get some, have it around. It's, good. Yep. it's a good option. Yep. Thanks, Jeff. Um, now we're going to talk to, uh, or we're going to take a question from, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, Malone. Malone uh, Hallam. <laughs> it's kind of a weird spelling, but... Um, Malin Hallam. Malin Hallam. I believe um, is how you say it. Okay. All right. Um, what do you think are the chances that the 1124 Pre-Confiscation Act will be repealed? I think very good. I'm, I'm not a very good estimator of, of when... Things like this are going to happen. Hopefully, we're all just hoping that it happens before January 1st. But here we are, December 6th. Yeah. Right now, tonight, as we're recording this, the clock is ticking. Yes. So, I don't know. Um, So, everybody always asks us, well, what do we do? Do we register our guns? Do we, you know, when the deadline passes and and, and we have to register, what do we do? You need to make that decision for yourself is the only advice I can really give you. There are starting to pop up some options for people um, out there as far as your AR goes. There's a company up in Northern Illinois, um, Law, I think it's a Law. I don't remember. Firearms. Anyway, it's. I think it's, the guy's last name is Law. He owns a gun range up in Northern Illinois. We'll find it and I'll put it in the, I'll yeah. text it, put the so text out. They're manufacturing for AR-15s uh, bolt, an AR bolt that basically turns your gun into a bolt action gun so so by just installing this ar bolt into your bolt carrier group your gun is now bolt action it's not a semi-automatic anymore and the law gives an exemption for all bolt action rifles you don't have to register them so for i don't know what the cost of them is it's somewhere 100 and something dollars you can buy this little thing throw it in your gun and all of a sudden you don't have a gun that has to be registered anymore so Check that out. It might be an option for the short term. If you need a couple extra months before something a decision gets made, that might be a way to, to work work around that. So I'd seriously check that out. Um, you got to do what you got to do. I, you know, uh, this whole thing is crazy. I can't imagine it would ever uh, be upheld. But kind of it's Illinois, and it's kind of what we're what we're dealing with. Yeah, we live in a state that's. Uh doesn't understand how crime works or anything. Well, I think they do. They just, it's not about the crimes. It's about, it's about control. And, um, that's what, that's uh, what I would say. I haven't looked at the numbers recently. They're very low still. For the registration, it's less than 1% maybe still of people with guns in Illinois have registered, uh, these outlawed items so far. So I guess that, that tells you right there what most people are doing. Yeah. Yep. And I would say that there are, there are some, there is some movement in the courts right now. I know seventh circuit, uh, Amy Coney Barrett just asked for a brief and this was in due to a Naperville law that's in conjunction. They're kind of combining these together with these. Um, this was a city ban on, uh, the same kind of weapons, assault weapons, which is, an, there's only been one assault rifle ever made. And it was the Sturmgewehr 44 by Nazi Germany. 
that was actually classified as an assault rifle. No other rifle has been classified as that, but whatever. Um, but I know that they're they're looking at taking that up with some expediency. So hopefully, before the Christmas break, they give us a ruling, or at least give us an injunction for a stay, uh, so that we have a little bit more time. Because once that goes into effect, then we the the clock actually sets back a little bit further. So. Um, couple of guys that you could follow for updates on that. Tom Grieve actually does some really good stuff. Washington um, Gun Law, I think, is another channel that does a lot of stuff on that. Um, and they're, they put out videos um, pretty con- pretty regularly about uh, Illinois laws and uh, what's going on. Um, next, Matt Moorfield. Similar question. Uh, what's, uh, what... Are our thoughts on the PICA Act, Protect Illinois Communities Act, and the law enforcement, and from the law enforcement side, explain how this law, aside from it being unconstitutional, is governed under Illinois law. So, kind of how is it going to be enforced? How is it going to be um, uh, taken up by law enforcement? Right. So, from all my law enforcement buddies I've talked to, that work in local law enforcement or county sheriff's offices and even the state police, you're going to be very hard-pressed to find very many cops that are going to actually go and try to be the enforcement arm. So, for example, who's going to go to your door and say, hey, we're from the state police and we realize that, you know, you ran, we ran seven background checks on you last year and we're just here to double-check and make sure you've registered, you know, all your you know, prohibited items, who's going to do that? I don't know. I don't know of anybody. I don't know how that would, how that would work out. And on top of that, you're going to have to have, it's a state law. So if somebody were to get charged or arrested, somebody's got to prosecute that. And, and, and who's going to do that? How many local prosecutors are going to be on board with enforcing that? Um, I don't know. There's a lot of people that say they're not going to. So it's completely wild west. Nobody knows uh, how that's going to work out. I just saw today or yesterday, Illinois is starting to try and put together uh, JCAR, the Joint Committee for Administrative Rules, is trying to put you know a lot of the details uh, together for stuff like that. Not really enforcement, but just kind of putting the the finishing touches on this law. And who knows? It, it's it's obviously how we feel about it is obvious. It's ridiculous. And it's completely just people who have no idea what's going on with the Second Amendment trying to make all the law-abiding citizens criminals. I mean, this is completely 100% focused on people who don't break the law. I'm yep. just, you know, I'm just sitting at home for the last 40 years on my guns, and now you're telling me I'm, since things are getting so bad, you're going to force me. You're going to put all the pressure on me to do something about it instead of putting pressure on the criminals where the focus ought to be. And you can't pass a law. Like we talked about this the other night. There's already laws against doing mass murder. Mm-hmm. It's all already illegal, but people do it anyway. And so people that are homicidal and or suicidal that are planning on doing the next mass shooting are not going to go, you know what, if... You know, thank goodness they passed this law so I couldn't go buy an AR-15. They'll get an AR-15. Mm-hmm. They'll get whatever. Uh, there's a newsflash for you. You can buy any gun you want to on the street. Anything. 
AK-47s, AR-15s. Mm-hmm. We see them all the time. And the time. ones with the fun buttons on them, too. And if you can't buy one, if you know you don't know where the gun dealer is in your neighborhood to go buy these guns illegally, here's something else you can do. Kick in your neighbor's door and steal his guns. That's what criminals do. Mm-hmm. They either buy them on the street or break into houses and steal them. They don't need to go to a gun dealer to get a gun to go do mass murder. They're homicidal and suicidal, and if they're motivated enough, they're going to go get these things. So don't press down all of the law-abiding citizens in the state for some, you know, just theory of yours that you think is going to stop and, and solve all the problems. Well, and that's that's what I said in our last episode when we were talking about politics was anytime that a government starts talking about a new law to restrict, to solve crime, they're not talking about restricting criminals. They're talking about restricting law-abiding citizens. And that's the reality of it is how many, how many law-abiding citizens do you know that have committed a crime of passion or mass murder or... I mean, we could even use when was the last mass shooting with a uh, NRA member or a Gun Owners of America member? Because I guarantee you if it did happen, that would be on the front page of every newspaper in this country for three straight months and it would be a demonization of the entire gun culture. But it doesn't happen and yet they still want to demonize the millions upon millions of law-abiding gun owners. We have, you know the largest per capita gun ownership in the world. And we also don't have as high a violent crime as other countries do that have much more strict gun laws. And you want to talk about violent crime and gun laws? Look at the cities where the crime is the worst. Look at Chicago. I mean, that's that's our northern <laughs> kind of the city that rules the whole state. But they have rampant crime, violent crime, gun crime. And they outlaw guns. They're, they have the strictest gun control in the country in Cook County, Illinois, and there's still massive amounts of crime and kids dying every weekend. 20 to 50 people are gunned down in the streets. And it's just insane to me that we think that taking guns away from people who are law-abiding is going to solve that problem. It yeah. just doesn't. You'll figure it out one day, John. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I get a little passionate about that. Okay, uh, here's a couple of just gear questions. Uh, Chris Rickert is asking, uh, what is a good budget-friendly concealed carry handgun? Chris is a very, very good friend of mine, a personal friend. and um, Well, I'll let you answer that. Oh, then, okay. You know, well, so, you can... so I'm, I would say to get into a good concealed carry gun, you need to probably look at the about $600 range. And there's various different companies I would say go with something that's reputable, something that has a long track record of, of being a good concealed carry handgun. Glock, Smith & Wesson, Springfield, I think they all make FN. They all make good handguns, mm-hmm. quality, that are reliable. They've been through their paces. They've been used by law enforcement and military for decades in the case of, of guns like Glock and Smith & Wesson and... Um, you know, a lot of special forces guys were running Glocks when the standard issue sidearm for the for the Navy and the Army was either the Beretta or the or the Sig Sauer, and they were running Glocks. Um, uh, Glock is kind of it hasn't really changed with a lot of these other gun companies. They've changed. I'm kind of a fan of Glock just because I like the way it fits my hand. But I would say 
Find something that fits you best, that you can shoot well, that is reliable, and uh, you don't have to break the bank to get a good concealed carry gun at yeah, all. I'd say probably for your, talk about budget, you know, so probably the least expensive guns that are probably good enough to do the job, you know, good quality gun uh, would be Glock, like Glock 19, uh, Sig 365. Um, that's probably a little bit on the higher end as far as cost goes. Uh, Smith & Wesson, anybody, anything in that family. Um, you're talking five, you know, after taxes and shipping and all that kind of good stuff, five to six hundred dollars. I wouldn't try to get probably any lower than that because you're going to start to sacrifice maybe not quality, but uh, you want something that's reliable, that's strong enough, robust enough, that it's going to work uh, and be simple. And those names, what we've seen, and the reason we suggest those is not just because, well, I've shot a Glock forever and I just, I just like them. It's because we've seen it with our own eyes. We've mm -hmm. seen, you know, 6,000 people come to Tombstone Gun Range in the last 10 years and come to these classes and we watch everybody in class. And people that show up with Glock 19s and SIG 365s and Smith & Wesson M&Ps, their guns work. Yep. They just do. They, they don't stop working. And other stuff is, is questionable. So um, that's kind of where our, our suggestions come from is based on experience and what we see. We like to give that information all to you. But if it was for me personally, I'd probably do a Glock 19. I've carried a Glock 19 as an off-duty carry for a long time. And it's worked flawlessly for probably the last eight or nine years. And But I'm a big fan of SIG stuff too. So that stuff, especially the 365 family yep. of guns, um, I'd probably lean to one of those probably. Yeah, yeah. That It's all good quality stuff. And I think that um, the, the other question asked here is that the um, what we should do for an inside-the-waistband holster. Do we recommend an inside-the-waistband holster for concealed carry? I think really probably it depends on the person. If you're a person that can can comfortably, and that's kind of a relative term, comfortably carry a gun inside the waistband it is much easier to conceal um and depending on the time of year the clothing you're wearing sometimes you can wear outside the waistband inside the waistband i have both typically i carry inside the waistband just because it's easier and it's more you know it's you are giving up a certain level of comfort when you go inside the waistband for sure because it's in between your clothing and you and you want it pressed up as tight against your body as possible there are definitely some good companies that do a good job. G-Code, T-Rex Arms, um, Dara Holsters, and um, uh, Tier 1 Concealment. I have all of those brands. Well, I don't have a T-Rex, but um, I will get one at some point. I, I'm, I have no doubt. Yeah. But I spend a lot of time fiddling around with different holsters buying some cheaper versions of those of those actual, you know, name brand, I guess you could say name brand holsters. And I was always disappointed until I got an actual tier one, until I actually got a a good holster that fit me well, molded to my body. It is a it's really finding what fits your body. Our bodies are all different. They're all different shapes and sizes. So finding that that fits you 
Sometimes it can be a little bit of a journey and holsters are not cheap. You know, you're going to drop probably close to a hundred dollars on an inside the waistband holster, a good one. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's, um, so it, it's, it's kind of a difficult thing, but I, I think I would recommend inside the waistband if you can do it. Right. And here's, here's the thing. You want your holster to hold your gun securely. So if you get knocked down and you're rolling around on the ground, the gun isn't going to come flying out. You don't want to just wing it and throw your gun inside your waistband, you know, with no belt and nothing. And the gun's just barely hanging on for dear life. Speaking and, of Chicago. Yeah. So <laughs> and, and the gun just falls down your pant legs or, or whatever. You have to have a way to secure that. You also want the holster to be designed to where you can reholster your gun without doing just one handed without doing anything else that you don't have to fiddle with it. There's not some flap or strap or whatever, that there's some type of built-in retention to the holster. So it basically locks into place one-handed. So I'm a big fan of most Kydex, like John said, G-Code, Tier 1. Those companies probably the the top two for me uh, that I've tried out and used for a long time. I've used both of those brand-name holsters for a long time, never had any problems. They work very well. So I've always been primarily inside the waistband holster uh, appendix carry for me up front somewhere mm-hmm. and the one of the re- main reasons i like that is because i can access my gun if i need it without having to do the typical cowboy throw my clothes out of the way and put my hand back on the side of my hip and the typical what it looks like to draw a gun like cowboy style everybody knows what you're doing <clears throat> when your hand goes back to your hip at three o'clock well, with the gun to the front of you somewhere, you can do a lot of stuff. You can do a lot of talking, distraction. You got keys in your hand. You can do a lot of things, and you're much closer to getting a hold of your gun. So to me, I like that option to where I can discreetly, more discreetly, get to my gun if I need to without being so blatant about what I'm about to do. Because sometimes you're just behind the eight ball, and the suspect has the drop on you somewhere. You've got to work to your gun. You don't want it to look so obvious like you're reaching and drawing for your gun so that's that's one of the reasons why i'm such a big fan of appendix up front inside the waistband it's just a little bit closer and less complicated to get to yep yep i agree next um dave davis what is your opinion of the rock island 10 millimeter i am looking to get this or a 45 never shot a rock island 10 millimeter I think I've only shot one 10 millimeter my whole life. Mm-hmm. So well, maybe I'm just from experience, most rock Island stuff I've seen is pretty decent. Um, it's kind of one of those guns that, you know, it's not a, uh, staccato, you know, 2011 or something like that, but they're pretty solid guns. We see a lot of people, um, get into those because they want to get into a 1911 and they don't want to spend two grand on a gun, but, from my experience, they're, they're fairly decent. Uh, the 10 mil stuff, you know, first of all, ask yourself, are you really going to go shoot this gun? Like if you're, if you're, you know, to me, so let me tell, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I've been a cop for 30 years. I own a gun range. I bet I only own probably 10 guns. And I might be even surprised if it was eight. 
I do not have a whole cache of guns. I'm not the type of, I'm not a gun collector. If I was Matt from Demolition Ranch, yeah, I might have a safe room with 500 guns in it because I make $10 million a year. <laughs> right. But I don't. And, but even if I did make $10 million a year, I'm not a big fan of just buying a gun just to have it. Some people are. It's fun. It's like collecting cars or whatever else you decide to collect. Uh, but 10 mil is a heavy hitting gun, especially in a 1911 platform. I mean, just a 45 is a heavy hitting gun. We did a class the other day. A guy was in class shooting a 1911 style 45. It was very difficult. And we started doing drills, of kind of like cadence drills and trying to shoot two, three, four rounds a second at closer targets. It's very difficult for most people to keep their gun on target with the sights not disrupted because the recoil impulse is so big, the muzzle flip is is bigger, and there's a lot going on with 45s and 10 mils, no doubt about it. And you run out of ammo a whole lot faster as well. So Rock Island's good. I wouldn't shy away. They're a pretty decent gun company. Um, And it's always cool. Hey, you got a 10 millimeter laying around. Awesome. Uh, So just be prepared for some abuse <laughs> to your hands with that. I think one of the craziest guns I ever shot was a uh, 460 Smith and Wesson revolver. We shot several that particular day and I'd shot a 454 Casula. It was all revolver stuff. So we started at like 38, 357. Then we got up to the big boy stuff and I'd always heard Smith and Wesson 500 was just, you know, that's a King. It's a 50 cal, you know, I mean, goodness gracious. And, um, I shot the 454 and I was like, wow, that's, that's got a, that's pretty, pretty beefy. And he's like, all right, well here, try this one. And it was the 460 and he put six rounds in it and I shot three and I said, I don't want anymore. <laughs> I mean, that thing was just rocking me. And I just like, yeah, it's not even fun to shoot. And uh, he's like, yeah, you look up the ballistics of that. And I did. And that thing shoots like, a, I mean, the, the yeah. ballistics on it's like a rifle. I mean, as the speed that is coming out of the muzzle is just insane. Like yeah. 2,800 feet per second or something I was like comparing that. some of these guns to like jet skis. And I'll explain what I mean. Jet skis are awesome. They're cool. They're fun. But then they sit in your garage or your driveway for 11 months out of the year. And, and you don't take them out. So... Go borrow somebody else's jet ski a couple of times a year, have fun, and let them deal with it. Yep. So on those guns, those specialty guns, just shoot somebody else's every once in a while. Get it out of your system and don't worry about buying it yourself. Find friends who have swimming pools and boats and big guns. There you go. <laughs> so. yep. Speaking of big, heavy-hitting pistols, we've got at the range, Remington makes a gun. It's a Remington 700 pistol. And if you don't believe me, look it up. It's a bolt-action pistol and some guy bought it and we decided we need to shoot this thing thought man the 308 pistol is gonna be kind of crazy surprisingly it wasn't that crazy i've seen guys do that with 50 cal pistols very controllable yeah and you know i don't know why they make it (laughs) it's got a rail on top for putting a scope on it i guess it might fit somebody's parameters of, of hunting something somewhere in america that's what they need but Dave, if we anyway. own a gun manufacturing company, you know we'd come up with crazy stuff to make. Oh, yeah. We could get way crazier <laughs> than that, I'm sure. Um, okay. Uh, last one in the gun realm, um, Dylan Kirkpatrick. Shout out to Dylan, one of our guys come to our classes before. Mm-hmm. Uh, good dude. 
over in Missouri in a free state. Um, Jealous. Yes. <laughs> How do you guys feel about bullpup rifles? I think, you know, I've only shot a handful of bullpups. They're cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, there's a lot of countries that that's their main battle rifle for their uh, for their military. Uh, France, I know England, Israel, China, they all yeah. use bullpups. I th- you know what? I don't know what it is exactly. When you look at the design of those, like a uh, IWI Tavor or, mm-hmm. or whatever gun you want, you want to talk about, man, it's a pretty good engineering feat. So you got a 16-inch barrel designed into this gun, and it functions like a short-barreled rifle gun yeah. just because of how it's designed and where the ejection port and the action is all at. It's all switched up to make that a much smaller package, and it's a pretty cool thing. But it's almost to me, it's almost like the metric system. Like the metric system, like that's the smartest way to go. That should be, but in America, it's just it's not American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not American to use yeah. a metric system. Yeah. I can't. I don't want to do it. And it's the same thing with bullpup rifles. Like that's pretty cool, but man, you know what? I just I'm just gonna stick with a good old AR. Yep. I have to. It's just like in my DNA or something. So I don't know. <clears throat> I like them. I've shot them quite a bit. They're pretty cool. If I was really like serious about getting into shooting with a rifle and and doing all the training, I would stay with a platform like the AR that's very adaptable. It's very common. Accessories are everywhere. It's just a very good weapon system. Ooh. To build upon. So Ooh. there you go. I said it. You just I got tactical. It. I said really? magic words. Tactical. Everybody come take our classes. We'll teach you <laughs> the way of the weapon systems. <laughs> The Righteous Savage Weapon Systems. All right. So now we're going to get into some, well, rather serious things. But I think that we're kind of getting more into our other wheelhouse of biblical things and stuff like that. So um, first question is from Nathan Short. This came in Instagram. Um, What do you think the answer is for male loneliness, depression, and suicide? Lay that on you. Yeah, that's a that's a big one. Well, I don't know. We're not counselors here by any means whatsoever. Um, but I think the the main thing is people feel hopeless, and there's no future. There's nothing left to live for. Obviously, that's why they're feeling suicidal, and they think that that option is going to solve all of their problems. So if you're, if you know somebody that you think is struggling with that, I think it's imperative on all of us on the outside to reach out. And like we talked about this before, nothing is impossible with God. Absolutely. So I think it's imperative that there's a faith aspect to whatever type of counseling or mentoring we're going to do with people who are struggling uh, psychologically, mentally, there's got to be a, a foundation. There's got to be hope. There has to be some hope in the future. And people are, might be in a bad spot financially, their family, whatever. There's got to be some hope. And if we can, at the very least, be assured in our future with God and what is going to come in the future for eternity, for our souls, and that that's what's most important. What's going on here on earth is nothing like this is just a flash in the pan here. We, this is a drop in the bucket, and so if we can put things in context of what's important, 
big picture wise and then be there to give support to these folks and let them know that there is hope. I think that's the first thing people always reaching out like, you know, I've got nothing, nothing to live for. And I think that's just code for they're just not sure what to live for. Right. Yep. Um, So if we can kind of peel back the curtain a little bit and show them kind of what's really possible, I think I think that's that's a start. Um, Man, there's a lot of people struggling with that. And I think some of that is just, you know, people are not right um, with their faith. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And so I think that's where we got to start off. I, I, I completely agree. I think that for me, what I would say, not for me, but for what I would say to the men and young men that are struggling with depression, suicidal thoughts, ideations, that kind of thing, we're, we're living in a world that is more connected than ever before. And people are more lonely than they ever have been because the yeah. connections aren't real. The connections yeah. are fake. It's get on your video game console and play video games with somebody across the world that doesn't know anything about you, doesn't give a crap about what who you are really. They just know you're good at a video game. And people think that that's a relationship. People think that that is a, that is a purpose and it's not. I think finding purpose is the biggest thing for men specifically. If we don't have a purpose, we start to we start to turn into these apathetic, um, nihilistic, you know, barbarians, really. And so I would say finding your purpose in life, the first purpose would be to find out how you can serve God, how you can reignite that passion and fire for Jesus for God for your church and if you are struggling with that I would say find a good church find a good community of of believers that would help you through those moments that are better dark because you know I understand that depression is a real thing depression is something that gets its fingers in our lives and it almost feels like we can't we can't uh, breathe it's just this thing that weights us down and I think that to fight that, it's get get out of the, <laughs> I use the term matrix, but that's really what we are. We're kind of, if you're going home every night and just plugging into video games or just watching sports and not really actively engaging and finding a purpose, man, that's an empty way to live. And I think that leaves you empty and just searching for something that you're never going to find there. Yeah. And I would say, please, for anybody that's struggling out there mentally, Please understand that you are on this planet for a purpose. And a lot of folks are like, well, I don't know. What's my, what's my purpose? I'm sitting here. My family's going down the toilet. I'm getting divorced. My kids don't like me. And you're telling me I've got a purpose? Yeah, the God of the universe puts you on this planet for some reason. And imagine if you could listen, you could actually hear the voice of God saying, John, Dave, listen, I, you know, I love you. You are here for a reason there. You are going to do some great things that nobody else on this planet could ever have done. You would be motivated. I would think like, wow, this is crazy. God is real. I'm here for a reason to do something. And there's a saying that says 80% of your motivation to do anything comes from your expectation of what the result is going to be. If you expect failure, 
you won't try. You won't be motivated to do anything whatsoever. If you expect to succeed, all of a sudden your motivation just blows through the roof. You know, so we have to change up what our expectations are. And that's kind of based on our faith and what we believe and, and not just stuff we make up on our own mind, but what the God of all creation has set in motion for us. And I would hate to, th- a lot of people just think, well, I'm just, we're here randomly. There's no God. Um, and, you know, nothing I do has any meaning or purpose. And so what, what's the point? Why should I even, why should I stay here and suffer? And the point is, well, you know what? Actually, there is a God of the universe. You're yep. not here randomly. Uh, this isn't by chance. And to think about how miraculous it is that me, we're just we're even sitting here in the first place is is crazy enough. And then to think, you know what? We are here to have an effect on somebody somewhere. And so if we can change our expectations a little bit of what the future is for people, I think that's a that's a good start as well. Yep. Yep. Completely agree. So next question is from Chris again. Um, this is one specific about the Bible. Uh, in Genesis, we are instructed to be fruitful and multiply. In Romans, Paul says it is best to stay single. Why do we think he gives a, a, an opinion here as opposed to quoting Scripture? Well, good question there. I think just listen to that briefly. In Genesis, there was like four people on the planet. <laughs> so we've got to start this. Yeah. we got to get the ball rolling yeah. here on the population of the world. So I think the purpose in the beginning was, yeah, obviously we need to be fruitful and multiply. And in the days of the New Testament, things are in that context, things are a little bit different. The, the context is we need to spread the gospel as fast and as furiously as we possibly can. And if you're single, you're going to have a little bit more opportunity to help us do that. If you're married, you're going to have some other responsibilities. So if you're going to get on the bandwagon of helping spread the gospel, that'd be great if you were single. And it doesn't mean everybody out there, just because you're a Christian, you have to be a preacher, you have to be in the ministry, or you have to be a missionary. That might not be what you're called to do. But So I think the context there was like, hey, some of us here, we've got a job to do, Mm -hmm. and... We would love it if you had zero other responsibilities or things to worry about. You know, nobody back at home, uh, no kids that you got to drop off at school, you know, and pick up at school, those type of things. So I think yep. that's what I think. Yep. I think that, well, so we're, this is out of First Corinthians 7. And this is the, <laughs> this can be a controversial chapter in the Bible because he's talking specifically about marriage which um, in the very beginning of it, it talks about, and so many people take this, especially in modern culture, is this just, this is chauvinistic, this is this, and this is that, where um, he's commanding that a husband and a wife don't have command over their own bodies. And some guys hear that and they're like, oh, well, that means, you know, anytime I want, you know, honey, you gotta, but... I think in in reality, what it is talking about, it's using, of course, it's talking about a sexual relation between a married couple, for sure. But it is also talking about the weight of a marriage that you don't really actually have control over everything when you're married because you're living with someone else. You are, you are joined as one with one other person and you guys do life together. So you don't get to just 
go do whatever you want, the weight of that is a responsibility. He says it's somewhere later, I forget what book of the Bible it's in, but he, he also talks about, you know, those that are, are married are going to have worldly troubles. So we're going to have that weight. So I think that what he is specifically saying is, and, and I'll read this, this verse specifically, it's six, verse six and seven, first Corinthians seven. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that you were all as myself, but each one of us has a gift for his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So he's saying this is really the way I see to, to live a perfect life of complete service to Christ and living and taking the gospel. And Paul, you know, you're talking about a dude that wrote most of the New Testament. This guy is, he is wearing himself out, taking the gospel to the world. And he's saying to be able to do that the best, to be the most effective at carrying the gospel, like you said, is to be single. Because you can, on a whim, you can go to a, to another country and preach the gospel. You don't have to worry about, oh, is my wife or my kids going to be okay with me being gone for a couple months? And really, anybody that has that passion, so this is kind of a little bit of a segue, I would say get that stuff and do it while you're young, before you get married. Go do those things. If you want to share the gospel, you want to do mission work, do it before you get married or find somebody who has the same passion. Yeah. Because when you get into a marriage relationship, you no longer have a hundred percent control over your life. As much as the as the world wants us to to believe that, it is in God's, you know, in his perfect picture of marriage, it is a lifelong commitment, and you are giving of yourself to the other person one hundred percent of the time. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yep. <clears throat> so get back to my other Next, we have Julie Tecklenburg. Um, our miraculous gifts of the Spirit for today, specifically referring to what is described in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. So that's the spiritual gifts. We know that the Spirit can, be, can dispense miraculous gifts, but does He? For this one, I would say, yeah. I don't, I'm not a, so there's, a, there's, there's different realms in the church, and, I, and I'm not really... Um, I have friends who are, we call them cessationists or non-cessationists. Um, so I would definitely be in the camp of, I don't believe that the spiritual gifts ended. Um, I have witnessed personally in my life, and at a, at a young age, I witnessed a lot of, um, I, I witnessed miraculous healings. I even witnessed somebody uh, being raised from the dead, as crazy as that sounds. That's a, that's a crazy story. Um, we might have to get into that yeah, one on an episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll get into some spirituality stuff, but yeah, there's, there's some, there's some crazy stories. Um, if my father was still alive, um, he had so many stories even from when I, before I was born, my mother was, was actually healed of, of, uh, Bell's palsy when I was, before I was born. So I've seen, and I've seen a lot of those things in my life too. So I can't, it's hard for me to believe that those things stopped and there's not really, there's not really any biblical, um, standing to say that they stopped. There's not like a verse that says, Oh, this is, this is when they stopped. I do think that there are some churches 
in some denominations of the church that take the gifts maybe a little bit too far and they don't get into the theology side. Mm -hmm. I think that we have to be balanced with scripture and we need to understand the context of what we're reading. We need to understand the, the, um, the backstory and all of that stuff, but we also need to understand that, yeah, it is a spiritual walk and we should listen to the spirit of God and we should follow his lead. Yeah, for sure. And, and even if you're not seeing things in your life that you would describe as miracles, like, well, I haven't seen anybody that's been miraculously healed of cancer, or I haven't seen anybody, <clears throat> you know, speaking in tongues and it was legitimate or I haven't, or whatever, spiritual gift or miracle you you think that you haven't seen don't take that as those things don't happen and and especially don't take it to believe that god is not actively involved in what's going on and one way that i see i think i see god more actively involved than any other way is our lives how many times have you in your own life or you've known somebody that says you know what i was i just happened to meet somebody or i happened to pick somebody up on the side of the road and, you know, next thing I know, some it, just, like all these weird coincidences happen, only they're not coincidences. It's like if I hadn't have done this and gotten off, you know, the bus at this bus stop and the bus wrecks off the cliff, you know, mm-hmm. on the next corner, like why, why do those things happen? And there's so many stories like that that are just purely miraculous Mm -hmm. that there's no other way to explain it. It's not coincidence. It's not just random. And there's a lot of people that could give you a lot of examples of how that stuff happens daily to people. And so we see God at work actively on the planet. And so don't be discouraged or don't think some of these things just don't happen anymore. Um, It might just be in a different way than, than what you think. Yep. Yep. All right. So that's our kind of serious section. We'll take these next few because <laughs> my lovely wife, sweetie, um, I, I told her, I said, you should throw a couple questions up there. And she decided that, you know what, John is a really, and spoiler alert to any of the, any of the audience that doesn't know me personally, I have a nickname this time of year and it's Clark because I am very much Clark Griswold. I we have multiple Christmas trees in our house. I, I have to apologize because I have actually decorated the set for Christmas. Terrible. Yeah, Terrible. such a failure. Um, next week it will be decorated. But uh, so my wife was just like, I'm going to ask Christmas questions. And that started this snowball effect of just multiple questions about Christmas. Right. So it is the time that time of year, you know, the most wonderful time of the year. So let's just take these as, and we'll kind of just do them popcorn real quick answers and get this get this rocked out. So, Amanda Wheaton, oh my lovely wife, um, what is your favorite Christmas tradition? I'll let you. S- Christmas tradition. Well, I think probably mine's kind of sentimental. So every Christmas Eve, we always gather our kids around on the couch with the Christmas tree lights on, and the lights kind of dim down, and we would read the night before Christmas the book out loud with our kids. And we've done this every year. Even after our kids were grown, we all kind of pile on the couch with everybody and read it. And I thought that was kind of a cool, just family, sentimental thing that we that we did a lot. We, we you know, um, we also get together a lot of families on Christmas Eve, you know, and open like one gift or something. Yep. And we do that. We've been doing that for um, a long time as well. But read the night before Christmas 
has, has been a staple for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So actually, that's kind of funny because mine was, it, I actually have two. Um, one is my dad would read, not not Nightmare Before Christmas, but the second chapter of Luke, which mm-hmm. is the this telling of the journey to Bethlehem and Jesus' birth in the most beautiful poetic way. Um, and so we'd read that and I've carried on that tradition. We read that on, on, we also read uh, night before Christmas, which is a great book too. Um, that's good. I feel real good about myself. Now I read about St. Nick. You're reading about Jesus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'll well, try to do better I mean, kids. We'll, we will, Sorry. we will talk about this in, in our intervention next, <laughs> next week. So we need to get you churched up. Step, step up my church game. Here, sure. To be to be fair, my father was a pastor, yeah. and so that's like I grew up. I was more church than than yeah. most. By the time it I was all six. equals out, you know, with yeah. all the the Christmas vacation movie. Oh, on loop, yeah. So that is that is the other tradition is like we um, we watch Christmas movies this time of year, and that's my favorite. Like when I was, I think I was. Eight or no, I was eleven years old. I vividly remember this because I was uh, got my basketball goal. That's what set me on the path to becoming a, a star basketball sure. player. You know, um, but we stayed up all night and watched. We went and went and rented a bunch of movies and we watched movies. It was me, and my sister, my brother was actually older and had already moved out of the house. It was me, my mom, my dad, and my sister. And that is probably the fondest memories. We popped popcorn and you know ate cookies and. Watched movies until about 11 o'clock, went to bed, and then got up and opened gifts. And uh, it was just a good time. Next, my wife also asked, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) No debate, right? Yeah. It's Christmas Um, music. It's got Christmas music. It's it's as much of a Christmas movie as It's a Wonderful Life, Home Alone. I mean, I've had this debate so many times. It's kind of boring. But... (laughs) Okay, Alice Rickert, um, what is the most overrated Christmas movie? Ooh, that's a good one. Hmm. I have mine. I say. Overrated. I know. I, I bet I know what you're going to say. Christmas Story. You're absolutely right. You know. I think we've actually talked about this. Yeah, I'm, I don't think it's overrated. I really dig that movie. It was actually on my house tonight when yeah. I got home from work. <laughs> It's just one of those kind of cozy movies that takes you back to your childhood a little bit, at least if you're as old as the hills as I am. Um, you know, I was did have Christmas in the 50s or whatever that movie yeah. takes place in by any means. But still, it's kind of a cool back-in-the-day type of type of movie. Yeah, so. the, the, the tongue thing. I can't do the, <laughs> the tongue thing. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, people, there's a tr- trend on social media, people doing that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm sure it's all over TikTok. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. People are I'll pass. special. Pass on that. <laughs> okay, here's another one. Turkey or ham for Christmas dinner? Ham. Okay. I must be honest. Prime rib. Well, we're going to really go, I, go crazy that's, here. I'm one of those, like, I cook turkey every year for Thanksgiving, and that's about the only turkey that I, you know, aside from turkey sandwiches, that's it. I, I think chicken's a better, better like poultry. Yeah, just if you're honest, turkey's just not. I mean, it's just not, it's just not that good. No, I mean it's okay. It's yeah. just kind of bland. You got to put gravy all over it. Yep. And spice it up. Ham. Now we're getting in the world of like barbecue here. Oh yeah, and, uh, pork. Oh, yeah. Pork There's in barbecue general, like we can. Up. Okay, we'll get. We'll, <laughs> moving on. Um. 
actually here here we go what's the best pellet so style of pellet for a christmas turkey a smoked christmas turkey mm, what i'm not a big turkey S- fan like we just yeah, talked we about just dissed turkey but you know i guess flavor is that what you're talking about yeah like the you flavor know? of the pellet so for me i think that fruit woods probably the best for poultry at least that's what what i guess my limited experience with poultry is you know if it's coming to like hickory is obviously a good one for for you know pork and beef and stuff but i think mm-hmm. that the fruit woods typically yeah. do poultry apple better. pecan yeah those two lean towards that is my go-to and then you know you spice it up every once in a while and throw something in there i've tried some of the jack daniels infused stuff before and that's pretty decent uh so switch it up yeah apple yep. yeah apple pecan I'd say number one, number one and two. Okay. And what are your favorite Christmas dishes? So let's get, let's just say Christmas dishes, not a main course. Christmas dishes. Now I'll just say this. So Thanksgiving's always a big time for cooking in our family. Christmas, not, it's not so much. Christmas. You guys do more of the finger food type it's stuff. more of like desserts and all the yeah. candy and all the cool, you know, chocolate dipped pretzels and all the you know those type of you know homemade desserts and stuff so i don't know you know we don't do like christmas vacation and get to carve the turkey right there at the table uh, dry. <laughs> um but um it's it's probably very similar to thanksgiving yeah you know ham mashed potatoes yeah you know oh, yeah well, you're good, you're gonna find out a real Christmas dinner kinda, when you and when you and Sheila come over for a Christmas dinner here for two. I'm red, yeah. Mm, oh yeah, that's not the only thing. I'm making the. I'm. I'm I, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll post pictures on our social media for, so you guys yeah. can let your mouth water. I heard somebody the other day talking about social media and, and the stuff that people post, and it's like you know back in the day when nobody had cell phones, and to take pictures you had to get a camera out and take mm-hmm. a picture. If you knew somebody that took a picture of their plate of food and then went to Walmart and had it developed and then got the picture and came and back home it and, then, and then showed that picture to their friend, said, look at this plate of food, you would be a crazy person. Yep. <laughs> like, what did you do? Why did you take a picture of this? Now that's all we do. Like, hey, so look, true. At, look at the, you know, my barbecue. Look at yep. my ribs I've got going on the Look grill. at my McDonald's, man. <laughs> this is a perfect Big Mac. <laughs> So yeah. true. Everything's changed. <laughs> okay. Last question, and then we've got to get going because we're way over time. It's our longest episode yet. Um, but anyways, Heather Crane on Instagram asked, who would win in a fight? And your two choices are the Terminator and Deadpool. Hmm. This is a this is a tough one. I had to think about this when I read it because I'm like, huh. I don't know. There's probably reasons both, but I think I just I'm a big Terminator fan. A big yeah. like you know, it's kind of like the wrestling thing where you got a bad guy that turns into a good guy at some point. You're like, yes, here we go. Like, I think the Terminator, you know, deep down inside, wants to be a good guy. Yeah, and it's just you know pretty bad to the bone yeah it's, it's arnold so the, yeah yeah the only thing is is like deadpool can't die that's the only thing 
Like you know, over over time, That's he's pretty gonna, important. Yeah, but I think for just entertainment <laughs> yeah. value. I mean, he's going to get ripped to shreds multiple times by the Terminator. So it's not get too so. detailed here. <laughs> but that was a good question. That was a good question and a fun one to end on. Um, Dude, this was fun. We'll have to yeah, do this man. every couple of months or something to ask you guys for yeah, questions. We could talk and, about, you know, favorite TV shows. You know, we could go. Yep. If we weren't yeah. out of time, and maybe we'll do some short videos of that kind of stuff where just to get, let you guys get to know us that we're really not these, you know, super serious dudes all the time. We have fun sometimes. Yeah, very important. So, yep. Thank you guys for joining us again, and we will see you next time. Hit our social medias up. Um, Christmas is around the corner. If you guys get in any, want to get any kind of uh, merch or gear from us, hit us up uh, on our website and order that stuff. If we get the orders in the next couple of weeks, we should be able to get them to you by Christmas. So don't forget to um, get geared up with for you and all the other righteous savages out there. And we will see you guys soon. Have a good night.